So we've been, the last few weeks, speaking on uh, the book of Joshua. I've been doing a study of the book of Joshua. If you remember the first week, we talked about uh, Joshua and his call that he received when Moses died. The call that he received was to be strong and courageous and to go out and go forth and lead the people of Israel across into the promised land that was given to them. And then the very next uh, week, we looked at Rahab, the prostitute who also was a liar, but yet God still used that person. And I asked the question, and I continue to ask that question, if God can use Rahab, why can he not use you? And most of the time, it's because it's our unwillingness to be used. It's not that we have something in our past that keeps us back. Yes, we have all had past. Yes, we have all had issues that we've done in the past, but it's not those things that keep us from, being, from allowing God to use us. It's us that keep us from uh, being able to be used by God. And then, of course, last week we looked at the crossing of the Jordan and how Joshua, even before God gave them the plan of how they were going to get across the Jordan, went around the camp saying, God is going to move mightily amongst us, so be, uh, prepare yourself, consecrate yourself in overcoming those obstacles in a life. Like, how do you overcome obstacles in your life if you don't believe that God is there? And so you have to understand that God is with you and he wants you to overcome all of those obstacles and he wants you to get on and go beyond the Jordan and go on into the promised land he has promised you and give you the land that is milk and honey and it's all in these better places. But we have to have faith in God. We have to believe that he goes before us across the Jordan into those places. Today we're going to look at the story of Jericho. Now, many of us, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you have heard of the story of the walls of Jericho. You probably even sing Sunday school songs, and you probably, as a, as a young child, if you were in church at that time, would walk around your classroom saying, God is going to destroy the walls, and, and singing the song of the walls of Jericho. And I can't remember it right now, so I'm not going to sing it, but you would walk around your classroom and doing that. I know I did as an uh, older child, but uh, yet it was, it's a wonderful story. The amazing thing about the story of Jericho is that not only do we find that it is in Scripture, so we know that it's true, but there have been many people that have questioned the, the uh, reality of Jericho. Did Jericho really exist during this time? And I want to read this passage to you, and then what we're going to do is we're going to prove that Jericho actually did exist and, and does exist today. And so let's read in Jericho chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Joshua chapter, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. 
Verse 8 says, And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went, went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word Go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Now, some of you wouldn't be able to handle this because you'd have to be quiet for six days as you walked around. That might be difficult for some of you. Let's move on, though. I have trust that you'll be able to do this. So so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Verse 12 says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually and the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually and the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp so they did for six days verse 15 says on the seventh day They rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell flat down. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to the destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land of Joshua, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman who all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been despised went and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who had belonged to her, and they were brought and they brought all her relatives, and they put them outside the camp of Israel, and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver, gold, and vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she has lived in the Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We honor you and praise you as we look at this story of the walls of Jericho. Father, there's so much into this story and there's so much that we can learn from this today. We ask you, Lord, to just open our eyes and open our ears and open our all the things that we need to do to see you and to see the story and the things that you want us to learn from these things. Lord, we may not physically approach a wall of Jericho, but we do have walls of Jericho in our life today that you want to destroy and want to move us forward from, but we have to trust in you and believe in you and follow your commandments. 
And so, Lord, today I pray that as we go through this, this story, this wonderful story, that you could just teach us, help us to hear from you, help us to apply it to our lives, and help us to know how to go against the walls of Jericho that are in our life today. Father, you're such a good, good God, and we love you so much. We honor you and we praise you. We glorify you today. I ask, Lord, that today you would open our ears and our eyes and our, and our uh, senses so that we can know and, and trust that what we are hearing is from you and the Holy Spirit. I pray that today my words would not be my own, but they would truly be your words and that you would teach us today, Father. Help us as we wrestle with the scripture of Jericho, Father, understanding what it would say to us. We'll be sure to give you glory, honor, and praise because you deserve that and so much more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I want to talk a little bit about this before we jump in. I want to—I uh, don't often do this, but I found it really amazing uh, about Jericho and the city of Jericho. And you know, today there are many scientists that said, and over the years there have been many scientists that say that Jericho never existed and they can never find Jericho. Well, it's interesting as we looked at this. In fact, uh, there's many stories of, of uh, archaeologists that have found some things, and and I want to talk about these for a moment. The very first archaeologist that found what they believed to be the, the walls of Jericho, happened in 1907. It was a German team that was also, uh, uh, also working alongside an Italian archaeological team. And they found it in 1907. But what they found in 1907 was not only that they found this, what they believed to be the city of Jericho, but they also found a, a few really, really interesting things. In 1907, it was first discovered that all but a small portion of the walls of Jericho were destroyed. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about Rahab the prostitute and where she was to stay when the walls went down, does anyone remember where that was? It happened to be on the north side of the city. It was on the walls and there was a window. And if you remember correctly, the scripture tells us that she was to, as she sent out the spy, she sent them out from the gate. Now, the whole entire city was destroyed. All of this, they could find no standing structures around the walls of Jericho except for one portion of that wall, and that one portion of the wall had a window outside of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I get excited when archaeologists confirm what I already knew was true in Scripture. It's fun when we find scientists coming to us and saying, oh, this is what we found. I don't know why just this one portion of the wall is standing up. Well, I do. I didn't have to go to school for archaeology either. I just picked up my Bible and read. I can tell you what happened if you want me to. It's amazing, though, that scientists are confirming this. It was for many years, though, that uh, as archaeologists went to this build, they started to try to date uh, when this uh, city that they believed to be Jericho was. And for many years, it was believed that the walls of Jericho that they were uh, doing this study of had actually occurred hundreds, or if not almost a thousand years before the actual time Jericho would have been there. And what they found was that uh, actually in 1997, when someone, uh, another team uh, went to, uh, a German team this time, went to uh, the walls of Jericho to begin to do more digs around the city, they again started doing some dating. They do what's called carbon dating, which by the way, don't put a lot of trust in carbon dating. But if you do, carbon dating is a thing. And when they put this trust, they found out that the scientists that first did the carbon dating on Jericho misled and was wrong by almost a thousand years. Now, hmm, what does that tell you? That means what the biblical timetable that we have lines up very closely with what's going on. 
The other amazing thing that they found in 1997 is that the German uh, and and uh, the German archaeological team said that the, they found piles of bricks that seemed to be that the walls that would they would have been part of had just collapsed flat to the ground. Now, again, I'm no archaeologist. I didn't go to college for that, but I can tell you that Scripture tells us that the walls of Jericho were flattened as they went flat down. The other amazing thing that they said was that not only were the piles of bricks flat and they were down on the ground, but they commented that the walls looked as they just fell flat down. And one of the workers actually also commented that the walls seemed to have fallen, fallen down in such a way that the bricks created a ramp where you could just walk right into the city. Now, all of this is what Scripture says. And so if there's any doubt in your mind today that Jericho actually exists, you can cast that out of your mind now. I can tell you that Scripture is true. It's accurate. It's the most accurate thing that's on this face of this earth. But it's awesome when archaeologists and, and historians and scientists prove what we already know is true. And so I want you to understand. The last thing, and I don't have a slide for this, but the last thing that they mentioned inside of this is that they were everywhere that they went past the walls, they found that there was some type of burnt mark on everything they found. Everything within the city was burnt, burned, and it had uh, uh, the, the markings of being burned. So the city actually burned, as Scripture told us that they did. The Israelites went into the city and burned it. Now, I wanted to start with this because I believe that the, the story of the walls of Jericho are more than just a Sunday school story. It's a story of great faith where God comes in and he does something so amazing that the people are just standing in awe before him. The Israelites were smaller in stature. They had smaller number of people. They didn't have the power that the city of Jericho had. As they encamped and went around the city, they only had the stories of what, had, what God had done for them in their favor. Now, there's only two ways into the walls of Jer- or through the walls of Jericho. One was by a gate where they could open up the gate and you could walk in through the gate. Any military-minded person would say that the only way to achieve a, a victory at the walls of Jericho would be to either build a ramp going up to the top of the, uh, top of the wall, jumping down the side of the wall, but that would cause great harm or great a loss of life. The other way was to tunnel through the ground and tunnel through and tunnel up from the city, but that would take months, if not years, to tunnel underneath and come up. In fact, Jericho was said to be the only city that you could not overcome by force. It was completely what uh, scripture said, or what um, historians tell us, impregnable. It was it, you could not get into it. You could not overcome it. Now, why is that so important? It's so important because these, these people of Israel are coming before the wall. Yes, they have just seen God move them through the Jordan. Yes, they've seen all these wonderful things God has done. But now this is the first city that they come to. This is the first place that God has said, this is your land. This is yours to take. And so as they stand before these walls, they see these walls that are impossible for them to get through. And they're thinking to themselves, how can I overcome this? Now, Joshua is a great leader, and he's a great military-minded man. But you have to understand that even if you're following a great military mind, you can look at something and say, it's impossible to overcome that. I'm sure there's been times in your life when you've looked at something and you said that God's plan is just beyond my understanding. I don't know how God is going to do it. I don't know how God is going to overcome this issue in my life. I don't know how I'm going to achieve what God has called me to achieve. There's no way around it. There's no way to do this. 
but this story of faith, this story of living in God's will is amazing. Verse 3 says that, as God tells them, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus, thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall, make, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now, if I'm going to follow God into a battle and he tells me to just start walking around the city, I'm going to have a serious conversation with God. I'm going to go, God, can't you like, uh, you know, uh, we, have the, we have the benefit of hearing the stories of what God has done, but it would be nice if God would just destroy the city with hailstones, right? It'd be nice if God did something else, if God would send a, uh, an extra battalion or, or, or something to destroy the city. But just to have God come to you and say, nope, you're going to walk around the city. Now, sometimes God's plans and what he tells us to do are so crazy that we have a hard time wrapping our head around them. They don't make sense. They, don't, they just don't, uh, how can two and two should equal four? Two and two don't equal 5,000. Or should I say three loaves and two fishes? Three plus two doesn't equal five. It actually equals more than that. God's plans doesn't always compute in our mind. Our minds are rational. Our minds can only understand simple things here. What we, we look and we add two things together and they're absolute. Our minds are absolute. And there's, we, we understand that there, there's things that happen. God's way is not always the rational way of doing things. And so we have to understand that. God's way is not always our way. Sometimes we need just to accept and have faith and follow his plan. The walls of the city were roughly 11 feet high and 14 feet wide. There was a smooth stone slope that came angling at 35 degrees for 35 feet. So if you can just imagine a 35 feet incline for 30, 35 degree incline for 35 feet, that's leading up to a wall that is approximately 11 feet high and 14 feet wide. For God to say, just walk around the walls of the city, was almost crazy. <laughs> but we serve a God who does more than what we could ever understand. See, the story of the walls of Jericho is just as much as people being obedient to God and listening to him as it is as much as God doing something amazing and destroying the walls of Jericho. Because when God calls you to tell you to go and speak to that person and share your faith with that person, when God calls you to take something that you like and you have in your house and give it to someone else, when God tells you to speak rationally to someone who's been really angry at you, when God calls you to go into your coworker's uh, office and begin to pray for them because they have an injury or, or something or sick or something else is going on, that is irrational sometimes because we think in things of, I have to go to work, I have to do this, I have to do it, and we line these things up. When in reality, when we go before God, God is not always worried about what we think is rational or not. He just wants us to be obedient to Him. Obedience is the key to so many things. The story of Joshua and the people of Israel is more about their obedience to God than it is God actually destroying the walls of the city. Sometimes God asks us to do something that is faith-building. Obedience is building your faith. 
When you have obedience to God and you follow him and you do what you're supposed to do and you see God move in your life, that creates faith inside of you. It builds up faith. You become, you become more stronger. You become more assured of God that you can go and do something else. When God moves in you, it begins to build those steps so that you can do more. If you go before someone and you pray for them and, you, and, you, and you're praying at, at, with all strength that you have and say, God, I just wish you would move in this person's life and take care of their sickness, take care of their issues, do whatever you can. And then God comes in and moves in that person that builds up your faith. Why does God want that? God wants you to be obedient in the small things so that he can continue to bless you and see bigger things done through you. Obedience is the key. Mark Batterson says, when you live in obedience, you're position, you position yourself for blessings. See, some of us here today are living in a place where we want God to bless us, but we want God to bless us where we're at today. We don't want to, obedient, we don't want to be obedient to him. We don't want to really pray. We don't really want to do the things that we have to do that God would call obedience. No, we want to just do what we want to do, and we want God to bless us. Let's be real for a moment with ourselves and say, there are times in our life we wish God would just do it and we didn't have to do anything. There are times when we wake up on a Sunday morning and say, God, can't you just you know, lay it upon my head and let me just sleep until 11, 12 o'clock and then I'll get up and you know, I'll have this time with you? No, obedience is getting up and coming to a place and honoring God. It's not actually just coming to this church. It's coming to a church so that you can honor God. That's just, this is part of obedience, part of being for Him. Sometimes at night when we need to get down on our hands and knees and we'd rather watch, but we'd rather watch you know, the latest TV show or whatever it is or sports show or whatever it is or I guess I can start teasing Jeremy now because NASCAR's coming back, right? So, <laughs> love you, Jeremy. <clears throat> but sometimes we just want to skip that and say, you know what, God, I just, I just need a break. But obedience is following God and doing it anyway. And why does he want obedience from us? He wants obedience from us because he wants to build up our faith. It's God doesn't need our obedience. He, he doesn't need us to do anything. God is God. He has control of the whole entire universe. He created everything. But he wants you to be obedient to him so that he can build up the faith inside of you so that you can do more. It's actually something that he wants you to do, not something that he's going to do in or for you. He wants you to do it because he wants to build up that faith inside of you. God could have came down and saved every single person on this earth. Yet he sent a God, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. And then he calls us somehow, some reason, to go out and share with others, to bring them to him. Verse 8 says, and as, just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. They were quiet. They did what they were supposed to. The people followed God. They listened to every word that Joshua spoke. No questions. No, wouldn't it be easier if we did this? Lord, really? Seriously? Seven times? Why can't we just do three? Why can't we just do one? I can hear it now. I, I, I'm not too far away from, well, some would say I'm way far away from the time that I was young and I complained to my parents about things, right? You know, your parents would say, go and do something, and you would go, do I have to? We would complain. 
as a parent myself, I loved always doing things that my kids just seemed crazy. You know, I'd tell them to go uh, do something. My, my son, love my son to death. He's 28, almost 29 years old now. And uh, I used to love to make him go and clean up his room. And he would hate it. He would hate it every moment. Why, why Dad? No one goes in there. Well, I go in there. Well, that's okay. Listen, Zach, go and clean your room. It's good to be organized, to be controlled. And you know, now, uh, back when he was young, he would complain and he would give me a hard time about it. He wouldn't care. He'd leave things out everywhere in his room. His, his room was a total mess. And now, won't you know, he's almost 29 years old and now he complains when his roommates or the people that he's living with don't clean up their rooms. And he's the one that lives in a tidy room and he does all the things he's supposed to. And I'm like, see, that mattered. He goes, Dad, I'm not going to tell you you're right. <laughs> That's what he tells me. But he learned something from that. We learn things. See, when we're obedient to God, we learn to be obedient. We learn not to question God. Because God, see, I believe God really wants to do amazing things through each and every one of us that's in this room today. And listening anywhere, not just here, not just at Passion. God wants to do amazing things through every Christian who follows him. God wants to do amazing things. He wants to move you. He wants to see you. He wants to see your neighbors healed. He wants to see your, your family members healed. He wants to see relationships restored. He wants to see amazing things happen to you. God is still the God who does amazing things. God is still the same God who moved and parted the Jordan River. God is still the same God who parted the Red Sea. God is still the same God who did all those things. We now worship and, and, and we appreciate and, and follow and, and fall to our knees and, and pray to Jesus and ask him, can we do the same things that he did? Jesus healed people. He healed blind men and he healed uh, people who were uh, lepers and, and all these other things. The, God didn't go anywhere. He didn't change. God doesn't change. He's the same God. So why are we not seeing that same thing today? We should be. We should be seeing those same things. And the reason why we don't see those same things today is because we don't have enough people that are obedient to God. If God came to you and said, hey, it's time for you to walk around your problem seven times, would you be able to do it? Would you not complain? Really, God, you want me to walk around my problem seven times? Corey, you're going to have to stand still because I need to walk around you seven times. No, I'm kidding. Corey's not my problem. I'm just joking. That's a joke. Please don't take it serious. Oh, Lena, his wife, just said it's, his, it's her problem. Wow. I'm free for counseling <laughs> this afternoon, by the way. No, but serious, if God tells you to walk around your problem, if you're praying to God and asking God, God, will you just heal me? Will you heal my family member? Will you heal my sister? Will you heal my father? Will you heal my cousins? Will you heal the people that are close to me? And if God comes to you and says, walk around seven times, you're going to ask, really? Walk, how's walking around this person seven times going to help anything? In reality, I think the whole story of Jericho was just to see if the people of Israel would be obedient to every word that God asked them to be. In reality, today, I think sometimes we have to learn to be obedient in all that God says. We can't expect God to move in our life if we're not willing to be obedient to the things that he says to us. God wants to move in your life. God wants to see miracles happen in you and through you. But it starts with being obedient to him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. See, it wasn't... In fact, Hebrews tells us that it was the faith of the people that made the walls fall down. 
My question to all of you today is, what is your faith causing in your problems that you're facing today? Your walls of Jericho may not be actual walls of a city. Your walls of Jericho may not be a wall that's 11 feet high and 14 feet thick that's on the side of a hill. Your walls of Jericho may be the relationship that you have with your husband. Your walls of Jericho may be the finances that you're struggling through. Your walls of Jericho may be some health issue that you're facing today. The walls of Jericho in your life, I don't know what they are, but you do. And God knows what those walls of Jericho are in your life as well. And he's looking for your faith. He's looking for you to have faith and say, will you allow your faith, your obedience towards me, to destroy those walls in your life? I think sometimes we get well ahead of ourselves. And we pray for God to do a mighty thing in our life. But we haven't yet shown the obedience to God to believe that he can actually do those things. I'm not saying always, but I think sometimes the very prayers that we say to people and the very things that we pray out of our mouth, we don't truly believe is going to even happen. We pray out of a, out of a, a nicety, if you will, a pleasant thing to do for someone else. When someone comes and says, will you pray for me? And, and we begin to pray do you actually believe the words that you're praying can actually happen? Do you believe when someone who has cancer comes before you and they ask you for prayer, as you lean down and you pray on that person, do you believe in your mind through faith in God that that person can be healed? That God could do something in that person's life? Do you believe as you sit down to do your bills and, and you have this faith and you're like, Lord, I, I, I don't have the money to cover this, but by faith I'm going to follow you. That means I'm going to give my tithe to you first. And I'm going to trust that the rest of it's going to be handled. Do you do that by faith? Do you have faith inside of you to do that? Do you believe that God can move in those ways? See, I believe that the people of Israel who marched around the city, now they, albeit, they had the benefit of just walking through dry ground through the Jordan River, right? They also remember the Red Sea and how God parted the Red Sea. They also remember how God fed them in the, in the countryside or in the desert with manna that fell from heaven. They also remember that God not only fed them manna, but when they complained about only eating manna, he provided quail. Hundreds and thousands and millions of quail came to them so that they could eat meat. They had seen all of the blessings that God has given to them. And so therefore, walking around the city seven times, they had to know that God was going to do something because God had been answering their prayers. We have to be people that stop acting like God's not going to answer our prayers and begin praying like God is going to answer our prayers and have the faith and obedience to follow him. It's time that we as Christians stand up and say, when we pray something, we should believe that our God's going to answer us. Listen, if you stand up and you pray for the lottery numbers, it's probably not going to happen. I can tell you that now. Save your time. But if you stand up and you ask for God to heal someone or you stand up and you ask God to bless someone or you stand up and say, help me with my relationship, Lord, and I'm going to do the steps it needs for me to do to get there, then God is going to answer those prayers and we have to believe that. We have to believe that the battle is more often in our mind than it is in what God wants to do. God wants you to be saved. God wants to do miracles in your life, but you have to have obedient faith for that to happen. Question is, what do you do when you don't have, when you don't know what to do? 
Joshua was given a command by the Lord to go forward and to walk around the city, and so he knew exactly what was supposed to happen. Joshua knew exactly what God wanted him to do. But sometimes in our life, we get to a problem in our life and we just don't know what to do. We stand before this problem and go, God, it's hard to walk around a financial issue seven times. It's hard to, it's hard, what do I do with this? How do I handle this situation in my life? How do I handle a child who is just so out of control right now? They don't want to listen to a word I'm saying. How do I handle how do I handle this job, this issue that I'm having at my job where it seems like I might lose my job or I might not have? How do I handle this situation, Lord? I just don't know what to do. I believe more often than not, the answer to those questions is I have obedient faith. Begin to do what you already know what to do. If you have a problem in your life and you don't know how to overcome it, if you have a Jericho that's standing before you and you don't know how to overcome that, uh, that, that problem, that obstacle, then the very first thing that you have to do is have obedient faith. Do what you already know what to do. Do what God has already told you what to do, right? Now listen, I've shared before in the past that algebra was not my strongest suit in college, right? But I knew where to start at least. In, a, in an algebra equation, there are certain things that you could start doing. If you know, you would always be encouraged to start where you know how to do. And so that's what I'm encouraging you to do today. When you stand before your problems and you don't know what to do, then start doing what you know what to do. Have obedient faith and look for God to move. Obedient faith means that we are clear. We're able to clearly know what God wants us to do. And we listen. Now, listen, you may not clearly know what God wants you to do in one problem of your life, but you know clearly what God wants you to do in all of the problems in your life. God wants to hear from you. He wants to have a relationship with you. So start on your knees. Get on your knees before the Lord and begin to pray and ask the Lord, help me with this situation. Give me insight. Give me wisdom. And give me ability to see you and hear you and know that you're true. Help me to understand that you're there in this problem that you care about and that you love me. Pick up this scripture. Listen, I told you uh, earlier that the, the people of Israelite were blessed. The, the Israelites, the people of Israel, the Israelites were blessed because they saw God move and part the uh, Red Sea and they saw God part the Jordan and they saw God answer all these prayers. But guess what? So are you. You are blessed because not only do you have the stories of all the Israelites of all time and what God did for every single one of them, but you have a personal relationship. Unlike the Israelites today, we have a personal God who wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He is with you. And so let me encourage you today. Let me encourage you in this place. Whatever your Jericho is, let's learn to have obedient faith. Let's build upon the trust and faith that we have learned by what God has done in our past. Be obedient in the faith that he asks us today and look for him to move in our life. There is no obstacle. There's no Jericho that stands before you that's going to keep God from moving in and through you. You just have to have the faith. It's my encouragement as pastor, as I stand before you, what I really want to do is I just want to inject you with the most amount of faith and encouragement that I can and say, God is going to move in your life. Believe it. Don't ever doubt that. But it starts with your obedience. It starts with you saying, yes, Lord, I'll do what I am called to do. I'm called to pray. I'm called to communicate with you. I'm called to read scriptures and see what you say to me. I'm called to go and share you know, one of the biggest things to do when you have an obstacle is to go help someone else. It doesn't make any sense. I know. It completely makes absolutely no sense. But when you give of yourself to someone else, God moves in you and through you. And you become encouraged to see someone else move. 
when sometimes when I have the biggest problems in my life and I'm struggling with something, I'm praying before God, I'll just go out and I'll go to a restaurant and I'll sit in a restaurant and I'll look around and I'll say, God, who do you want me to bless today? And then I'll pay for their, their breakfast. And I don't tell them that I did it. I, don't, I just tell the waitress, let me pay for their breakfast. Don't tell them who did it. Just do that. Sometimes I'll walk into a grocery store and look at someone and hopefully they don't have like a cart full of groceries because, you know, pastor, you don't make a lot of money. But look at them and say, I want to pay for your groceries. They'll look at me, why? Because God loves you. It helps me to do those things. When I do what God has called me to do, when I go and help other people and I stand before the Lord and I do what he has called me to do in these scriptures, sharing my faith with other people and stand before, it helps me to have faith in that God can overcome the problems that I have. Because see, those people that are standing before you all have their own problems. I've shared this story many, many times from the pulpit before and I'll make it quick, but I'll never forget the time that I walked in into that young lady's house to give her a roll of wrapping paper. I mean, it was just a simple roll of wrapping paper. I think it cost me 75 cents. Now we had bought a whole bunch of them. We were going around the community giving out wrapping paper. But I remember walking into the store, walking into this trailer, knocking on the door. She opens up the door and I say, here's a roll of wrapping paper. She looks at me and she says, why? Why are you doing this? I said, because God loves you and he wants to bless you today. And then I'll never forget being invited into her home and seeing a shotgun and a handgun sitting on her table thinking I walked into the wrong home. And her proceeding to tell me I was just about ready to kill myself. I had the gun loaded and I had it to my head and I was just about ready to kill myself because I told God, unless you send someone to my house and tell me that you love me, I'm going to kill myself. I was, the, I was just the avenue that God used that day to save that young lady. But I'll tell you something that I'll never, I'll never forget that story. Never in my whole entire life. Never forget that story. Because what it has done in my own life is it caused me to look at my problems and say, my problems aren't nearly as difficult as them. But God, if God moved through me, silly old me, who had the silly idea to go to, go to a trailer park and go around community and pass out wrapping paper, who passes out wrapping paper? That's a silly thing to do, right? But God orchestrated that whole entire event. For me, I believe, for me just, and for us, it wasn't just me, there's other people with me, for us to speak to that lady. See, when God does those types of things, you can't help but get excited in your faith. When you see God move like that through other people, it's amazing things because you begin to say, if God can move that way, guess what? He can move in my problems too. He can flatten the walls of Jericho that stand before me. Listen, God is a great God and he wants to move in your life. He wants to overcome your walls of Jericho's. But you have to start by serving him, by standing before him and saying, God, I know it's only through you that this can be overcome. But let me have that faith. Let me be obedient to you and follow you. Will you stand with me, please? The people with Joshua weren't always successful. The book of Joshua, as you read through the book of Joshua, and we'll continue on next week with another story from Joshua, but there are stories in Joshua, in the book of Joshua, where it shows that the people were not always successful because they weren't always obedient to him. When they weren't obedient to God and they didn't follow God's plan, then things didn't go out the way they were supposed to go. They didn't see 
the, the miracles that they saw at Jericho. The reason why Jericho was so successful is because the people were, were, were directed by Joshua and they followed and they did exactly what, he was supposed, what God asked them to do. They were obedient to God. And it's not even so much being obedient to Joshua as much as it was that Joshua and the people together were obedient to him. And so they marched around that city. May I encourage you today that the issues that you have in your life can be overcome by God. I have not yet heard any story from any single person that ever told me a story that God couldn't overcome. I've heard some amazing stories, some amazing problems. God doesn't always overcome them the way that we want them to overcome, the, the way he want, we want him to overcome, but he will overcome those issues. He will overcome every issue that you have in your life if you just have faith in him and obedience to him. Trust in him. Walk in the steps. Do what he calls you to do. March around the city if that's what it takes. But it starts with an unbelievable, courageous faith that you have to have in him. So I want to pray in a moment. But as I pray, what I want you to do is I just want you to give up to the Lord in your own prayers, in your own way, your walls of Jericho, whatever it is that you're facing today, whatever it is that seems to be impossible for you to overcome, give it up to God and let God take care of it. I believe he will if you're obedient to him and obedient to what he says. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We glorify you, we honor you, and we praise you. And Lord, even as we read the story of Jericho and how we talk about Jericho and how the people marched around the city exactly as you told them to, there was no questioning, there was no complaining, there was no, do we really have to walk around one more time? No, they followed exactly what they were supposed to do. Lord, sometimes that's really hard for us to do. And I just want to admit, Father, that I haven't always been, you know this, obedient to you. And I'm sure all the rest of us in this room can say the same thing. And so, Lord, first, the, first and foremost, what we want to do is we want to stand before you and say, Lord, forgive us for our lack of obedience towards you. Whatever it might be in our life, it may be different for each and every one of us in this room, but forgive us of that lack of obedience. And then, Father, we ask you, as we seek your forgiveness for our lack of obedience, may we continue to grow in that obedience and that faith so that when we go forth from this place, that we can march around our cities, our, our Jerichos, if you will, in our life, Father, and see them, see the walls being tore down in our issues and our problems because we are obedient and following after everything that you say. Lord, I believe that in every heart and every single person you have and are looking for Faith that is courageous. Faith that is strong. Faith that will say, I will go and do what you call me to do. And as you, we follow that, Lord, you will be blessed. And you will work in and through us. Not because we have done anything special, but because of just how wonderful and loving you are, Father. Because Lord, without you, all of this is for naught. And so, Lord, we pray that we can restore our relationships with you, that we can hear clearly from you what you want to do in our Jerichos, Father. Then we can begin to walk around those cities. We can have faith that you're going to move in a mighty way, in a way that only you can. Help us, Lord, today to overcome those walls of Jericho. We stand before you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.
walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me. Waiting for change to
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me. Father, it is so true. You have never failed us. And it is within my confidence that we will trust in you, that we will follow you, and we'll see you move again. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here in this room that has never seen you move, or as struggling today because they have an obstacle, they have a Jericho in their life that they haven't seemed to be able to overcome or see the walls come tumbling down. Lord, we pray for that person right now in the name of Jesus. Will you come over them and will you move in their life? Give them the steps that they need to take. Give them the directions they need to go, Father. Lord, you are a loving God who wants to direct and guide us in every step that we take. And I believe that to be true for every single one of us that's in this room today. And we have confidence in you to do what you have called us to do, to walk in the steps that you have called us to walk. We love you, Lord, and we look for you to move again in our life. Father, I now pray and ask for a blessing to fall upon every single person that's in this room. May they walk in the blessing that can only come from you and the Holy Spirit. May they walk with you as they walk out these doors and they approach their Jerichos as they approach their life, as they approach their everyday life, may they feel you move mightily in their life and may they say, I know it is God who is moving in my life. Lord, I pray for every single person, may they receive your blessing that you have in store for them. Let them walk in you. And may we glorify you, honor you, and praise you every day of our lives, Father, every step we take as we serve you and see you move again in our life. Be glorified, be honored, and be praised in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you again next week. If you have any prayer requests or anything you would like to ask, please come forward. We'd love to have an opportunity to pray with you.